Um, we've been going through a, a series, um, uh, or we are going through a series, uh, looking at the, the verses where Jesus says, I am something, like I am the bread of life, which we had already, I am the light of the world. And the one we have now is I am the gate for the sheep. And um, I, I started to sort of look at that and thought, well, I need to say something really clever about this because, you know, it's I am the gate. But um, yesterday I was chatting with a, a friend of mine. She's, she's 12 years old. And, uh, and I said, what do you think that means? And she said, well, the, the gate's the way in. So I imagine Jesus is saying, if you want to come to, to God, you need to come through me. I said, yes, yeah, probably that, isn't it, really? Um, <laughs> I wanted to say a little about it before we kind of get into this, but um, uh, Becca prayed for me at the beginning of the meeting and uh, as we were sat over there before everybody started and prayed that actually I, I wouldn't overcomplicate it. I don't think she said those words exactly, but that actually this is just simple stuff, okay? This is just simple, very basic stuff. Um, but why did John write in the gospel all those Jesus saying, I am, all the time? This, this is... a uh, a kind of crucial bit of it, really, of, of what Jesus came to do. He, um, I, I've often spoken with people, and I can remember having an argument with, um, I'm trying to think, probably people who had arrived on my doorstep, possibly Jehovah's Witnesses, who were suggesting that Jesus was not God. And, um, and actually, they said, well, he doesn't say he's God. But the problem is, is with our translation of this. When Jesus said these things, when he said, I am the gate, he was deliberately using the name of God. We, we know that earlier, in, in, earlier on in John's Gospel. Um, he's asked a challenge, really, and, uh, because basically he's, he's saying that he's implying he's more important than Abraham and, uh, in, in what he's come to bring. And when he's challenged about that, he actually says, before Abraham was, I am. It's really clumsy grammar except he is saying it deliberately because he's saying, I am, because I am was the name of God. We get that from um, Exodus. In Exodus 3, um, Moses is, uh, is met God at the burning bush. I hope we're sort of familiar with the story. There's this bush that's on fire, but it's not burning. And, and Moses then hears the voice of God. And, uh, and he's thrilled to find out that God is going to send him to Pharaoh to get his people out of Egypt. He says the, the the oppression of my people has come to my attention. I'm going to do something about it, and you're the man. And Moses said, well, I can't do that. And, uh, and then he says, what, what will I say? And, and how, I won't even convince my own people that, that I'm the one to do that. Who will I say has sent, me, has sent me? And at that, God says, the one who sent you, he, he replies, you're to say, that the one who sent you says, I am who I am. And the, the Hebrew words in that uh, are the word from which we get um, Jehovah, as it happens. Um, but it is actually um, the name of God. But it's just I am. God uses that name. That is his name because he always is. It's always true. So he was and he is and he will be. He's always I am. He's always existed, always will exist. He is eternal. And it's his name. And Jesus takes that same phrase when he refers to himself. And so when he says, I am the bread of life, he uses that same name of God, the um, Aramaic version of it, but he's, he's still saying it. There was in no doubt, and if we were in any doubt of whether Jesus really was saying that, or that's just the translators wanting to make him say something he didn't, 
In fact, what happened when, when Jesus said that before Abraham was, I am, it says the crowd, they picked up stones to stone him for his blasphemy. They knew that he was saying, I am God. Absolutely no doubt about it. Don't let anyone convince you otherwise. Jesus knew he was God and he told the people he was God and everyone he was preaching to knew he was claiming that he was God. And so we need to have that in mind as we're going through John's Gospel. And, and actually, don't, don't be fooled by people saying, well, he was a good teacher. And, you know, and he, he, brought, he, he wasn't a good teacher. He actually claimed to be God. And, and he actually said, and, and the, the whole of everything he taught hangs on that. It's because he's God that he could do what he could do. Right, okay. So, let's... Um, and, and then, in light of, of my young friend and Becca telling me to be simple... I thought I would just like to read the passage, and particularly the passage that leads up to this. So it's in, in John chapter 9, leading into 10, and I'm just going to read it, because I feel, I, I just, this, this is a bit of me, I've been, we've been thinking this week about all sorts of things, and, and actually, it, it is simple, but it, it's Jesus. Everything is about Jesus, these whole phrases. We wanted, we felt, you know, that, that it was time to, that we had a preaching series that, that centred on Jesus. And I thought, well, if you want to know Jesus, you just need to read the Gospels. They are just brilliant. And you think that, so here we go. Chapter 9 of John. As he went along, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And after saying this, he spat on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbours and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he just looks like him. But the man himself insisted, I am the man. Then how were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes, told me to go to Siloam and wash, and so I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. And therefore the Pharisees also asked how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and washed, and now I see. And some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man, What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, He is a prophet. They still did not believe him, as he had that he had been blind and received his sight, so they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked. Is he the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? Uh, we know he's our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind, but how he can see now or open his eyes, we don't know. Why don't you ask him? He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who were already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. This is why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, 
Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, when did he do this to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, I've already told you, and you did not listen. <laughs> Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? They hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple, we are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And the man answered, well, that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard the man had been thrown out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world, so the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin, but now you claim you can see your guilt remains. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him. The sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he, brought out, when he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I could read more, but it's two other people's preachers in here as well, so there's, we won't do that. But I just thought this is just a wonderful story. I have to say I have a lot of odd bits of, of scripture which I love, and the one about the man being born blind is just brilliant. And, and it tells us so many things, really. The, the first bit is, is the fact that the disciples were saying, well, was it his sin or his parents' sin? Now, we don't really wrestle with it in the same way, but at the time, there was an understanding that it, it was to do with saying, well, God can't cause these sort of things for people, so it must be sin that's the cause, and so either it's a person's sin is the reason that they're in the trouble that they are, or, or they've inherited it from their ancestors, from their parents. So that was, that was the belief, that was the understanding. And so it was quite a legitimate question for the disciples to ask. To us, it sounds a bit funny. And so if, if I were to meet someone and said, well, I've, I've been deaf all my life, and said, oh, was that your sin or your parents' sin that caused that? You, you just wouldn't dream of responding like that. We, we do think differently. But in fact, the reason we think differently is Jesus said, no, it's not like that. Actually, um, it's so that God will be glorified. It's so that, the, the, uh, so that I will be able to demonstrate that I come from my Father. And that's a kind of difficult thing to wrestle with for us. But it then led to this whole ridiculous thing, really, with the Pharisees. And so here's a man. There's, we're in a society now where there is no social care structure, really. 
he was blind, he had to beg his whole life, there was no job he could effectively do that, that he could find, so he was a beggar. Because he was born blind, so he'd known nothing different all his life. He's met Jesus, Jesus has put mud in his eyes and told him to go off and wash, and he's washed his eyes, and, and now he's no idea who's done this because he, can't, he couldn't see you know, who was doing it at the time. So now he's left thinking, well, but I can see. This is just amazing. And they say, well, you need to go off to the, the Pharisees, which you would do to authenticate the healing. And, and all they were concerned was, was, who's done this to you, and what day of the week did they do it on? Because they've mixed mud. They've mixed mud on the Sabbath. Well, that's like kneading, like, you know, making dough or something. You have to stir it. And that was forbidden on the Sabbath because you're not allowed to make bread on the Sabbath. Very simple. And, and so they, they really were not interested in the fact that this man's life had been radically changed and rescued. They should be celebrating. And yet they're picking holes in the story in order to be able to get at Jesus. It's just horrendous, isn't it? And I do wonder when I sort of thought it through myself, whether there are bits of me like that, and that rather, acknowledge, rather than acknowledge exactly what God might be doing, it's easier to get stuck in the detail. And in fact, they'd made up their mind about Jesus long before this happened. And, and so every time there was something which undermined their, what, what they had decided about Jesus, it, they had to get more and more obscure and more and more ridiculous in the way they were confronting it. And to actually say, well, he, he must be a sinner because he healed a man on a Sabbath. There's quite a few other bits about the Sabbath that Jesus refers to, and it's quite clear he's saying, uh, you know, ultimately, in, when he's challenged about it, the Sabbath was made for man. It's actually it's for your good. And so what is wrong with healing someone on the Sabbath? Absolutely nothing. But then it leads on to the bit that I'm supposed to be talking about. The gate. And in fact, it, it is as obvious as it sounds. Jesus is the gate. The, um, the, the setup typically in a, a town at the time, uh, or a village, would be there would be a large sheepfold, and the shepherds would bring their sheep in off the hills at night, um, because they were wild animals, like wolves and the like, and so they wanted a place of safety, and they, it was generally walled, or it might be a cave or something, and there'd be a gap, just the one, and someone's job it was, was to sit in that gap and be the gate. And so Jesus was using a picture which was fully understood. They knew exactly what he was talking about. And so like my 12-year-old friend, it was absolutely obvious that Jesus is saying, well, you, you've got to go through me. And Jesus reinforces that later, and he talks about being the good shepherd, and then ultimately he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But so I'm not allowed to preach on those. So. Um, but they're all linked. Jesus is saying, it's, it's through me. I am the one. Um, come through me. And there is, is where the, and a, the, the sheepfold would have been the, the place of security, protecting from things on the outside, but it also stopped the sheep wandering off. There was no other way out of it apart from past the gate, or the gatekeeper. And that's what Jesus was offering. And he's saying, I, I am that secure place. And, and in fact, the more I've sort of looked into the things Jesus says, you realize he, he's so steeped in, in the Old Testament scriptures that he just kind of talks in those terms all the time. So this one then, Psalm 118, in verse 20, it says, This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now, we know the last bit of that because Jesus quotes it himself when he's talking to others about actually he's destined, he says, to be rejected, but he is actually going to be the cornerstone of what God is building. He's going to be the, 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 the 
the main part of the pitch, the bit on which it stands, uh, or that holds it together. But it but it follows that bit where it talks about a gate and the gate being the salvation, and and I'm sure that was in Jesus' mind because he he say lived with with the scriptures, um, and that's why he picked that. And and in fact, all through the Old Testament, there's this sense of of God's family being sheep and and needing to be cared for and uh, and there it gets followed through there's um jesus tells the parable of the lost sheep he uses again just everyday stuff but but again people would also have understood he's talking about someone who belongs to god's family is a sheep and they're lost um I think, yeah, I'm, I'm going to kind of summarize it, really. So Jesus, Jesus is saying he's the only way to the Father, and, and I don't think anyone could sensibly argue against that. It's such an odd thing to say otherwise. Um, and, and yes, within that sheepfold, it's, it's access to the goodness of God and to the healing, and, and he's demonstrated, he follows this, is immediately following healing a man who's born blind, and he's saying, this, this is actually it. This, this is what it means to, to meet me and to be touched by me and changed by me. And when he's then challenged by the Pharisees, he, he tells them, basically tells them, you can't qualify yourself for this. There's a little argument ensues that, that follows on where he's um, basically telling them that they're blind, or, or the question of whether they're blind or not. And he says, well, not really. He said, you are the ones who are given the information. You are the ones who are given the scriptures, you're the ones who should know better. And so it'd be quite difficult for you. This, this man was born blind, and he just mixes the metaphor in real life. He says he was born blind, and, and now he can see, because he's, he's actually accepted that I'm the one who illuminates that. And the Pharisees are saying, he's saying, it's going to be tough for you, because you had the information, you ignored it. And you're busy picking apart a healing in the hope that you can condemn me, when in fact you should be celebrating the goodness of God for this man. So, if you find uh, yourself like me, that you, you end up wrestling with your own failures and shortcomings, and your own selfishness, and your own need to control your own life, and these are all the things I do, and your own response is to beat yourself up that you aren't doing better, and you're feeling guilty that your behavior doesn't match what you know you believe. Here's the truth. You were born blind, just like this man was. And Jesus has or will heal you and enable you to see. This is his offer to us. The, the, the blind man was physically blind, but it applies to all of us. We are all blind. We're all born unable to see. We are no better than the Pharisees who actually thought they knew it all, um, and, and yet were actually rejecting the one who, who was God, who is God amongst them. Jesus is the gate. He's the only one who permits legitimate entry into God's sheepfold into his family. He protects us from that external danger. He, he protects us from putting ourselves in danger. And so the, the invitation is to come to Jesus. There's nowhere, nowhere else we need to go, which is why I want to, just want to just read it. We just need to come to Jesus. This may sound stupid. We, we had a, a core group meeting in the week, and, and we talked about, uh, we were with, with John Cook, who was just talking about 
kind of refocusing their church in Penrith on bringing people to meet Jesus. And it, it was so obvious that you think, well, surely all churches do that. And Oh, Paul, I want to read that quote, and I forgot to write it out. Let's see if I can find it. Paul found a quote this week from C.S. Lewis, who apparently writes a lot these days, even though he died quite a long time ago. And um, where is it? Oh, not that one. This one. So here we are. And C.S. Lewis wrote this. It says, The church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ, to make them little Christs. If they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. But well done, C.S. Lewis. This is it. It's all about Jesus. It's all about us coming to know Jesus. And, and Jesus, when you read John's Gospel, that's all you read. It's, it's about coming to Jesus. He's all the way through it. Um, when I was 18, I, I went to a, a youth group um, in a nearby town, and I happened to have a car when I was 18, and so I used to take people who wanted to go to it, even though I wasn't really that interested myself, because I could drive the, the five miles from where we lived to where this group was. But it had a series of Bible studies led by a guy who, who would go into ridiculous detail, I have to say, in some of the things he did. But he told me this. He said, he said I was saved because somebody gave me a John's Gospel, and I sat down and I read it from cover to cover and then realized I needed to give my life to Jesus. He said, so he actually then gave us, we had dozens and dozens of John's Gospels to give out to people. He said, this, this is it, this is all you need, it's John's Gospel. And although it isn't all we need, it actually, for a lot of people, that was true. But I read it because I had this little good news, John's Gospel. And it's absolutely true that it is all there. And it's not cleverly disguised. It's Jesus saying, I am the gate. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, I am, the, I am everything you need. I, the, I am all sufficient for you. It goes right through the gospel. And you think, we sometimes complicate it too much. And my, say, 12-year-old friend yesterday, she, she just said, well, that seems obvious, really. And it is obvious. So the question is, what are we going to do with it? So, I found that, I think through my life, the more I immerse myself in Jesus the more he changes my heart. And through that, my thoughts and my behavior. And, and actually, it's not the other way around. I can't, I can't make myself good enough for Jesus. And it's an important part of the gospel. And sometimes we load ourselves up with other things we think we should be doing. But it is that simple. We can do nothing on our own. And if we, we, we're going to lapse into becoming Pharisees if we think we can. We need to be just like the man who was born blind. And Jesus saved him. And then he finally gets to meet him. And he doesn't recognize him. Cause, and it's, it's the voice. And he, and he realizes that he is talking to the same person who's healed him. And, and you, know, you could link that to further on when Jesus talks about being the good shepherd and saying, my sheep hear my voice. It's Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, then that's all you need to sort out. If you do know Jesus, that's all you need. So... Um, I want to encourage us to, to walk through that gate again today. Um, we're going to worship. So I didn't want to talk for long. I, would, I want us to worship. So if Becca would return and just focus on Jesus. And there was a song playing through my head all this week, and I was in the band, so Becca has to do it now. So that's, um, but can I, can I encourage us to, to kind of live and find that rest, that place of peace, that place of security in him? And let that actually impact everything else we do. If you've never given your life to Jesus, 
it's a great time to do it. Because <laughs> as soon as possible is always the best time. Um, and so just consider, as, as in fact we worship, ask Jesus to open your eyes so that you can see just the same as he did for that man.